Welcome to the National Presbyterian Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Ray Hilton, and I'd like to personally say how thrilled we are to share our sermon with you this week. If you feel encouraged by our messages, we invite you to hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. Now, let's go to the National Presbyterian Church Sanctuary and hear the word of the Lord. The scripture reading today is from Colossians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today is the final sermon in the series on essential practices of Christian discipleship. Dr. Hilton was the lead-off hitter a couple of weeks ago. And we had Dr. Mark Laberton join the rotation, and of course, Dr. Fox preached last week. What does that tell you about today and me in the rotation? I'm the cleanup batter. I'm the cleanup batter. And so what we're going to be opening up today is looking at care and compassion and how to love one another as essential practice. So let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we can dig in. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire for love of you. In Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Paul was in prison in Rome when he wrote this letter to the Colossians. Now Paul didn't establish the church in Colossae, but it was begun and lived out in ministry. The practices that Paul had influenced in other churches that he had started. Now, Colossae was about 100 miles east of Ephesus, where Paul really dug in and, and, and taught and started the church there. And Paul writes this letter to the Colossians because they had been under the influence of false teaching. We don't know exactly what was taught, but somehow it involved some element of Jewish teaching and it also had some sort of worship of angels or astrology. And there was also a thread in there of some appreciation of beauty that was crossed with harsh treatment of the body. This teaching that was false was also tinged with Gnostic heresy. And for those of you who don't remember exactly what Gnosticism is, it's the belief that once people attain some sort of secret knowledge, then they will find salvation and be able to overcome this material world. So the heresy in Gnosticism is that Christ 
is not the way, the truth, and the life. And the heresy is that Christianity isn't based on Christ's atonement, but on secret knowledge. And the heresy is that Christianity is a philosophy rather than a way of life. So Paul counteracts this false teaching by setting forth the truth. Jesus Christ is our essential. Jesus is the only one we need. When we're in Christ, we have received God's fullness and everything that we need to live life here on earth and to live life eternally when we die. That's it, Paul says, Christ alone. So now that we have this understanding and overview about what he was writing about and against, let's look more closely into chapter 3 to unpack what is in there for us today. The beginning verses that were not read so beautifully by you, David, thank you, um, were that the Colossians were being encouraged by Paul to put off those behaviors and attitudes which destroy community, such as greed, idolatry, impurity, evil desires, slander, malice, abusive anger. If you remember Quinn's sermon from last week, he also addressed that same concept of taking off those behaviors and putting on ones that build community. And so that's what we started with in, in verse 12 today. Paul encourages the Colossians to put on those attitudes and behaviors which build up community. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and forgiveness. When we lead with those characteristics, we create an environment that gives dignity to all and which fosters care and love. But I think it can be really hard for us to take off those sinful attitudes and put on the clothing of Jesus. When I was a junior at UC Santa Barbara, I lived in a sorority house that was a converted apartment complex just at the edge of campus. There were about a seven or so apartments of various sizes, and the plan was for all of us sorority sisters to move around so that by the end of the year, we would all live, have lived with one another. Now, since we were on a quarter system, that meant we moved around a lot. So my first quarter in the house was great. I loved all my roommates. We got along, we had a great time together. My problem started in the second quarter. There was one sorority sister I didn't really like, I have to admit, and I didn't really know her very well either, but I just knew that I didn't like her. She was a little bossy and controlling, and Christine just really rubbed me the wrong way. Now, when it was time to sort out our roommates for the second quarter, I quickly saw that I would be living with Christine, and to make matters worse, we were going to share a small bedroom together, too. There wasn't anything I could do about it. I just had to roll with that. So the beginning of the quarter was rough. Everything Christine did annoyed me. But slowly, over those months, I started to see things about her that I liked. That bossy streak, that was self-assurance, and it's something that I lacked. That annoying laugh was generous and included others. 
God slowly revealed Christine's true character to me, and I found a lot of good in her. God changed me, and that was a good thing. I lived in that house for two years, and every time I had a lack of compassion toward her sorority sister, guess what happened? Mm-hmm. I would have to live with her for a quarter. <laughs> I know, God is so funny, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> But slowly, God would just reveal things to me about those sorority sisters that I found dear, and God grew grace and understanding and compassion in me because God was at work at me one quarter at a time, one sorority sister at a time. God changed my hard heart towards one of compassion. And by doing that, by changing me, God changed the dynamic in the house. There was less condemnation and more forgiveness. And there was a better spirit when I took off the garments of envy and negativity and put on those of kindness and compassion. You all know that entire process is really hard because we have to be open to God working in our hearts. We have to give God access to those little pieces inside of us that aren't very Christ-like. When we allow God to deal with our patterns of sin and change our clothes from those that are covered with earthly attributes to those that are full of godly attributes, then we're better equipped to love one another. But we need God's pouring out of the Holy Spirit's gifts of the compassion, the kindness, the meekness, the patience, and the forgiveness into overflowing so that we can pour out those gifts to those around us. That's what God did to change my heart in college to improve my attitude in my sorority house. I didn't, and I wasn't able to change on my own. Paul goes on to write that the premier piece of clothing that we must put on is that of love because love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Over and over, throughout Paul's letters, he affirms that love is central in the life of the believer in Jesus Christ. And love is the mark of new life in Christ. The most well-known passage of love that Paul wrote was from 1 Corinthians. You see it on your screen. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Because love is the bond of life in Christ, Paul encourages us to display those attributes of love in our behavior, just like Kristen told the children this morning. That means we show kindness rather than frustration, and we don't get huffy when we're waiting in a long line. We celebrate another's achievements with joy rather than envy, and we forgive rather than hold a grudge. We're compassionate and empathetic 
rather than dismissive or curt. And we consider others' interests ahead of our own. This would be impossible to try if we have to do this in our own power. While we're new creations in Christ, we are still works in progress. We can't love others without God first loving us and filling our hearts and our minds and our souls. That's why it's critically important for us to gather as a community. This work isn't a solo activity. We're called into fellowship with one another to encourage each other, to support one another, and to do life together. When we sit side by side in worship, when we pray for another, one another in a small group, when we study scripture together, we help each other grow in love. I've seen this over and over while I've been here at National. I like to think that I have the best job because I get to watch you all care for one another. And I've watched you care and support each other in powerful ways. The time one of you took another to the ER and waited until 2 a.m. to make sure the one that was sick was going to be admitted into the hospital and not need a ride home. Or the time that a small group rallied around new parents having their first baby and providing meals for months. That's love, specifically concrete love if you're a new parent. Or the time that several of you came up with a rotation to make sure that someone who had gone through a long recovery process would be visited. Again, that was love and compassion at work. And I want you to know that none of these acts of care originated out of the care office because I found out about a need and asked some of you to do it. Nope, 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 nope. All of those examples were examples of organic care that rose out from this congregation. When we're in community, we bear one another's burdens, and we show God's love and compassion. God has filled you up so that you can show that love to your brothers and sisters in this beautiful way. I do think, though, there are a few things maybe we might do a little better when we show, to show more consistent love in our community. And so this past January, Ginny Beeson, uh, one of the premier volunteers in the care office and I, we taught a three-week course in the Jan term on care, prayer, and dare. So we covered the basics of care, and we encouraged one another the, um, to pray for and with each other. And then we dared our class to go out and try some concrete actions to show care. As you can see from this slide, there are a lot of different things that we can do. The easiest might be one that I think would change the transformation in this congregation when we worship. If we just smiled at one another when we walked in and looked around and we smiled at each other, that would go a long way. We can all do that. And I do think that maybe the hardest one might be to go visit someone in their home. So there is a level of different things that you can do. But I think the one action that would be the most impactful in deepening the love and compassion amongst our church would be to pray for one another. 
I know, I know we do pray for each other. We have the care and joy list. We have the prayer cards that we ask you to fill out. We ask those watching online to click the button and leave your prayer requests. But what I'm talking about is to pray for one another in a more immediate way. So let me give you an example of what I mean. Many years ago, when I was at a different church, um, I would talk with a, a friend who would tell me all the things that she was challenged by and the, the struggles that she had. And so I would just tell her, I'll be praying for you. It sounds really lovely, but that's an empty promise. I might pray for her if I remembered, but more often than not, I would forget to bring her and her prayer request before the Lord. So God convicted my heart, and I changed my approach. Now, when you share things with me, that are on your mind, I ask if we can pray for that right now. And nine times out of 10, people will say yes. They're happy for me to pray right then in the moment. If we're at a crowded space, I ask us to move a little to the side, and then I ask what, what you want me to pray about for you. And once I hear the request, this is what we do. We stop, we drop, and we pray. Right then. Doesn't have to be long, doesn't have to be flowery. But the point is to show love and compassion by interceding for one another as soon as we can. I already hear you, I hear you, I hear you, Lisa. That sounds really hard, right? That would feel awkward. Don't make me do that, Lisa, right? That's what you're saying. And I would agree with you. I would agree with you, it is hard. It is a little scary to do that. So just start with a, smart, a small circle. Maybe your spouse, or your kids, or a very close friend. I promise that once you give this a try, it does get easier. And our life in this church, in this congregation, would be transformed if we showed love and care through this kind of stop, drop, and pray prayer. Ask God for courage to do it, and then press ahead in love. And then tell me about it, because I would love to hear it. There's one final side to this care equation, though, that we, we need to explore. And that is that we can't pour out God's love and care if no one asks for help. Right? It takes two sides. It takes both. It takes someone to pour out and someone to receive that pouring out. And that's really difficult to do. I think special, especially in the Washington, D.C. area. I believe that covering up our need and showing vulnerability and having to project strength is a stronghold in this area. We're the epicenter of power across the globe, and therefore those of us who live here, we have to show similar power and strength too. That attitude gets reinforced in office buildings and in meeting rooms and in hallways all around the DMV. But that way of thinking really isn't Christ-like. It works against the characteristics that God wants us to develop and curate as his followers. 
Years ago, I met with a church member who wanted me to help him think through a problem that he was wrestling with. And when we met, one of the dynamics that became really clear to me rather quickly was his vulnerability and showing that was a huge struggle. In fact, it was basically took every ounce of strength that he had to even let me know that he wanted to meet in the first place. See, he had built a, a reputation on positivity. And he thought that by letting others in and showing that he had some struggles and he had some need, that was negative. Nobody shows negativity. You only show positivity. Thankfully, he stuck with it. We met several times over the course of the year, and I could see his progress in opening up to those in his life who were safe and who offered him the care and support that he needed. When he was authentic with others, he found blessing, encouragement, support, and care. God calls us to care for one another. But if we aren't willing to be vulnerable and to ask for support when we need it, then we're allowing our pride to get in the way of God's work. We need to admit when we need to be poured into. We need to admit that we need care and compassion. As your care pastor, I'm telling you, I need you to pour into me too. I can't always be pouring out to you. That wouldn't work. We also need to stop tr showing the outside that everything's okay when we're crumbling on the inside because that's not authentic. And while we're at it, we need to quit worrying about what others think about our need. When we show our hurts and our sorrows, when we ask another to walk alongside us for a, a stretch of time, that's actually showing great strength. And it's also giving someone else the opportunity to pour out the love that God has poured into them. Life in Christ is a journey. It's a process. And it starts with love. The love that God had for his people that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to bring about reconciliation and to restore a right relationship with humanity. Through Jesus' gifts, we are made new and can relate to God and others with love and truth. We don't get anywhere if we don't start with that first essential. Once we've been reconciled to God and one another, God again pours out love to us. And we flow back gratitude and love to God when we gather together as worshiping believers. We give gratitude and thanks to God for all the things that God has done on our behalf. We can hardly help it, can we? When we sing those songs, when we hear the scriptures read, when we pray, we're worshiping and giving thanks for all that God has done for us. Once we've been equipped through worship and poured into with God's love, then we're able to pour out in service to our neighbors, both near and around the world. 
We, we help those who are vulnerable and in need. And it doesn't matter to us if they're in the body of Christ or not. We help because God puts that on our hearts to do so. God also uses love to draw us into deeper relationship with him. God uses love to grow depth within our hearts, to grow deeper, to become more like Christ. And when we have that love, we're able to become little Christs and show others the joy of living in relationship with God. And finally, the love that we share with our fellow believers is love that we spend time with one another in this community, walking alongside each other, supporting when we need to be supported, and reaching out our hand with help when we need that care. Everything in Christian discipleship begins with and is steeped in God's love. And only in Christ and through Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit can we love God and our neighbor and to show compassion. There's no secret to these essentials. It's all about relationship. Every single essential has a piece of relationship in it because God desires relationship with us and through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, God equips us to be in relationship with God and then one another and then we pour out and serve our fellow humanity. So as I close, let's reflect back to the, the end of this passage. You all are the chosen ones. You are holy and beloved. So whatever you do, in deed and word, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for your invitation to walk alongside you and to grow in the essential practices of discipleship. Oh Lord, we recognize our, recognize our frailty and admit that we cannot do this without you. So Lord, continue to pour your love in through us so that we may reflect it back to you and shine your love to all those around us. May you be glorified, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're glad that you could be with us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website at nationalprayers.org. That's nationalprayers.org. Help us spread the good news of the gospel by sharing our podcast with your friends and giving us a rating. If you haven't already, be sure to click the subscribe button. See you next week.